I want to tell you this morning, we're going to be talking about what is our style. But before we do, I want to give you a story. Have you ever had a juncture in your life or a moment where somebody confronted you and in that moment you were furious? But when you look back now, you're so grateful that they had the courage to do that. Anybody have that moment in your life? You're so glad you made them pay for confronting you, didn't you? A lot of you, maybe that's a, a mentor, maybe it's your parents, maybe, it, maybe it's grandparents. I had a moment like that in my life. I was a, a knucklehead in high school. I think I shared with you guys last week that at one point I had long black hair. My favorite t-shirts had skulls on them, um, and I considered myself a punk rocker. Sometimes I'd hiss at people at church. I, I needed somebody in my life to confront me, and I went through a lot of my life with people being kind of too frightened to talk to me about some of the things that I was doing. And, and I know I had this amazing person in my life. My mom uh, was this woman who deeply cared for me. She prayed for me a lot of times. She'd walk me through very gently. She was not a very confrontational person. But there, were, there came a juncture when she was doing a, a load of laundry for me uh, as a teenager, and she found a lighter in my pocket. And I'll never forget, she called me with tears in her eyes to come down to the laundry room. And she asked me, she said, Shane, what is this? And of course, I lied to her. I said, oh, mom, I was just trying cigarettes a little bit. And uh, I walked out. And as I turned, and as I walked out, and I knew my mom was confronting me in the most tender and gentle and beautiful way, it's like I couldn't walk out of that laundry room. The Holy Spirit leveled me. I couldn't leave. I knew that I had told my mom a lie, and I turned around, and I confessed everything that I had been doing as a high school student, and it wasn't good. And it was in that moment that 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 pure, genuine moment of confrontation, my mom gave me an opportunity to confess and walk in repentance. And that day marks a day that changed the rest of my life. It marks a day that the, tra the, the trajectory of my life went from living for myself to being remade into a disciple of Christ. But it started with my mom confronting me and me responding with confession and repentance. And God has brought me to where I am today because my mom had the courage to confront me. Aren't you guys so glad for some of those people in our lives that are willing to tell us hard things that we're not ready to listen to? Did I make my mom pay when she confronted me? Yeah, a lot of times I did. But today, mom, if you're watching, thank you. See, we need confrontational people in our life sometimes. And that can get carried away in today's world. It really can. Everybody say amen. Right? That can get carried away, but we can't overlook that we need confrontational type people in our lives. So we're going through a series. It's going to be a six-part series about different personalities that we see in the book of Acts, people that were used specifically of God because of their personality style. See, we believe that everybody here, if you're a believer in Christ, God has gifted you uniquely. There is no other you because that would be weird. You are the only you that God has made, and he has brought you here to be a part of this faith family. And so you bring a unique personality, a unique set of giftings. And there are all kinds of different unique giftings that we see in the church, unique personalities that, guys, we need every one of you to press into who God has made you to be. So if you're here today, we want to help you find your style. So everybody ask that question with me. What's my style? What's my style? of making disciples. Now, this is based on a, a resource by Mark Middleberg uh, that there are several different personality styles that we see in the book of Acts in particular. 
A quick review, guys, from last week, we talked about the Great Commission. Everybody say, Great Commission! I always, I always tell, uh, I, I was a youth pastor for a long time and a college pastor, and I said, when you say great, you've got to say it like Tony the Tiger. Great. great Commission. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It's the Great Commission. And the Great Commission tells us to go, therefore, into all the world, right, to make disciples of all nations. And that is the task that our Savior has both given us and equipped us for. He's both given us this task, but he's given us, he's empowering us through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that lived out today in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be in. So our first, our first style that we see is Peter's confrontational style. Peter's confrontational style. Here's a little footnote for you guys. Colossians 3.13 says, everybody say it with me, make concessions for one another's faults. Okay, so if there's confrontational people here, as we're going to see in Peter's life, it sometimes is going to get the better of them. But we need to make concessions for their faults because they're making concessions for our faults, right? And so in the church, brothers and sisters, we have to be willing to make concession for one another's faults. Why? Because the gospel is worth us putting aside sometimes the faults that we each have so that we can help one another press into who God made us to be. Let's talk about Peter really briefly, and then we'll get into this passage in Acts 2. And let's look at evidences of Peter's personality. There's a lot of really cool stories about Peter in Scripture, aren't there? I think about Matt 16, 15. Now remember, this is a pretty young guy. He's probably around the 18, the age of 18, when he got involved with Jesus' ministry, when he met Jesus for the first time. He was probably around the age of 18 between 18 and 21. And if you remember, in Matt 16, 15, he was kind of the loud mouth of the group, right? And Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And what does he, Peter steps up and says, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. It's really cool. I got to actually go and stand where this happens. This is a real place. Um, and it's a, it's a neat, neat thing to, I'll unpack that passage another time. But so Peter, loud mouth Peter of the group, jumps up and says, you're the Messiah, right? And then several lines down, if you keep reading, what does he then do to the Messiah that he just declared? He argues with them. Anybody have that with your kids? Like, you're the parrot, and now I'm going to argue with you, right? So, no, but, but Jesus, Peter says, hey, you're the Messiah. And then later on, he's already trying to rebuke Jesus, right? He's trying to challenge Jesus. Feel like, can you imagine that, what's going through Peter's head? Probably nothing at this point, right? He just declared that Jesus is the Messiah, and now, Peter, you're arguing with the Messiah. Like, you don't have much ground to stand on when you're arguing with the Messiah. So let's just say that he was a bit confrontational. Can we say that? You start to see that in his personality. Who's the guy that jumps out of the boat? You guys remember the passage when Jesus is walking on, on water, right? And Peter looks up and he goes, he just forgets himself and jumps out of the boat. I don't recommend doing that in most days, right? But he just forgot himself. He's, he's kind of impulsive. He's that confrontational type personality that sometimes just runs before they think, jumps out of the boat to get to Jesus because he's so excited about what he's seeing. He's that type of personality that gets overwhelmingly excited, a little, um, a little hasty. John 18.10, we know that Peter's the guy who does what? He cuts the guy's ear off right? He gets, 
He gets, uh, and by the way, this is the same guy that then later denies Jesus. Like, oh, I'm not with that guy. But here, man, he was ready to go. He had his sword ready and he was ready to go to fight for Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, put your sword down, right? Put your sword down. If you're gonna live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword, right? But we know that he was hasty and he cuts this guy's ear off because again, he was the guy who was gonna run and do before he necessarily thought through. Run and do before he necessarily thought through. Okay, so can we agree together that, that Peter was a, a, a kind of a confrontational personality style? So let's set up the scene for this passage. We're going to be, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of, uh, of Acts. This is called Pentecost. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. And this is where the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, and there's craziness going on. You can see that it's like this packed this packed market area. There's all kinds of people around and the disciples receive the Holy Spirit for the first time and they begin to speak. And as, as they're speaking about the things of God, everybody starts to hear in their own language. And it's amazing. It's this extraordinary thing and it's loud and it's rambunctious. You can, I always used to think about like when there was something going on in a neighborhood in Wyoming, instead of running away from it, everybody goes to it to find out what's happening, right? This is kind of like one of those moments that everybody's like, what's going on? There's this like commotion, this racket. And then everybody's running up to find out what's going on. And they start hearing these guys that they think are crazy. And they're talking about the great things of the Lord and, and what the Lord had done through the work of Jesus Christ. And so you can imagine this crazy scene going on. It says Acts 2.6, and at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Everybody say bewildered. That's a great word, bewildered. Everybody, give your, give your neighbor a bewildered look on your face. <laughs> like, why is pastor doing this? Now I am bewildered. Okay. <laughs> because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This was miraculous. This was amazing occurrence. Something that was very unique. And in this moment, God called upon one man to step up in the chaos stand up and to raise his voice. Who else would it have been other than Peter, the confrontational type? God knew who he was going to use. Let's read this passage. Would you read along with me? But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's like, little early guys, men of Israel, hear these words. If we skip to 20, verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Everybody say, ooh, shots fired. Acts 20, so verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Everybody say, bum, bum, bum. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Skip to 30 there. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, 
that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, everybody say, this Jesus raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, how are they going to respond? How are they going to respond? Now, when they heard this, these were confrontational words, right? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Everybody say amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray. God, as we look at what happened at Pentecost and how you used Peter mightily, Lord, I pray that our hearts would open to being confrontational when we have to be. And then also, God, being open to being confronted when we need to be. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you teach us to be a church not of consumers, but, Lord, instead, a church of disciples. A church of disciples who make disciples. Lord, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing I want us to see in this passage that, that happens to Peter, he receives the Holy Spirit. I did a great study throughout the whole book of Acts, and one of the key things the Holy Spirit does, his role in our lives is to empower. You'll see this word empower a lot. Holy Spirit empowers the believer for the work of ministry, for the proclamation of the gospel. So here, the Holy Spirit comes into Peter, and Peter is now empowered but does that change who Peter is? I want you to see this is a really important, maybe a lot of us think that as you become a Christian, you just stop being yourself. I, I want to challenge that idea. He doesn't change who we are, but merely makes us more of what God created us to be. Okay, so is there some rough stuff in there? Yeah, it's called depravity. It's called sin nature. We all carry that right? But there are some things that, that God has given us, that God has made us. It's called common grace. Every human being has some good given to us by God. He made us who we are. Okay, I want you to see that, that, that a lot of times God wants you to press into who he made you to be, okay? So some of you need to hear this today, that maybe you're a little weird. I was a little weird. God's going to use the weird in you, we, we hear our, like moms say, oh, that's so unique. <laughs> or, uh, oh, bless them, right? But God wants us to press into those unique aspects of who we are and who he's made us to be. He's going to use those things. I hope that encourages you today. Okay, so we're going to look at Peter's strengths. 
What are some strengths to the confrontational style? And then we're going to look at some weaknesses to Peter's confrontational style. And so there's really different relationships here. Some of us are those people, those confrontational type people. And you need to be encouraged, but also you need to be cautioned. Okay? And then there's all the rest of us. Guys, we have to be okay with people who are of confrontational nature because sometimes they need to challenge us. So let's look at confrontational strengths. Guys, sometimes direct is needed. When we are a people who want to make disciples, that means sometimes we're going to have to step out on a ledge and be direct. If you're a confrontational type person, you're really good at this. You see in verse 14, what does Peter do? He stands up at that moment and he raises his voice. You guys are going to hear me raise my voice a lot. Um, The youth from my last church, they said, Shane, just don't yell as much as you do at at us at your new church. I'll, I'll try to tone that down. You guys just like maybe tug on your ears when I'm getting too intense. But he took his stand and he raised his voice. At one time, I went to a a conference and there was this world-renowned speaker and she was sharing a little bit about how she evangelizes. And she said she was so ashamed of this Christian one time who came and directly shared the gospel with her neighbor. And she was so ashamed of them. She She was frustrated with them. She said, I had been friends with that neighbor for two full years and I had been building a relationship and building a relationship and they didn't know that I was a Christian yet. Oh, you guys hear that too? How can, if Jesus is the most important thing to you in your life, if you're a friend with somebody, it shouldn't be hidden. You can't hide it. You're crazy about Jesus, right? And so that's what, when we, it just broke my heart that she was, she was saying and kind of embarrassing other Christians that like, if you share your faith directly, you're shaming the rest of us. And that's so wrong. Brothers and sisters, that is so wrong. We need to be encouraging one another to preach the gospel, both to other Christians and to non-Christians. We need to be a people that the gospel is so present on our lips that people hear it continually, that our family hears it continually, that our own hearts hear it continually. Sometimes we don't have the time to sit around for two, three, four, five, ten years because you know what? At the end of the day, what happens when we do that? We're being really friendly with people all the way to hell. And we're comforting them all the way to hell. Brothers and sisters, we can't afford to do that. They're too important. The gospel is too important. So what we see, verse 15, Peter, verse 15, he addresses drunkenness. And this is kind of an interesting thing, but the thing about direct people is they tend to to address the elephant in the room. And we see Peter do that, right? He's like, this is crazy. This is what's going on. You guys are proposing that the disciples are drunk and they're not. There's something else going on. And so sometimes it's really important for direct people um, to address the things going on that are, are kind of the elephants in the room, if you will. Here's the thing about Christians. We're weird. We should be weird. We live to an entirely different set of purposes in life. We're weird. And guys, sometimes we got to stop and explain why we're weird. Why do we sing out of hymns? Why are hymns so precious? You know, why do we pause and explain? Why do we say grace over dinner? The newer generations, guys, we live in a post-Christian culture. That means they don't understand why Christians do the things they do. So we got to be a people like Peter that are confrontational enough or direct enough to sit down and explain why it is that we do the things. Why is the Bible so important to us? 
Why is Jesus such an important figure to us? Sometimes we've got to sit down and explain that because that can't be assumed anymore in our culture. We need direct people because they're really good at stopping and explaining the elephant in the room that a lot of us feel uncomfortable to address. <clears throat> Christians, we are weird. It helps to stop and explain why. Why do we share? Why do we share the gospel? Why do we consider that urgent? Why do we go to church? Guys, why do we go to church? You ever tried to explain that to your kids? Why is it important to go to church? Why do we not do this or watch that? Why do we not partake in some things? Why do we partake in other things? Right? Why do we not watch some movies? It's okay to explain why our culture needs to understand why we're weird. Don't leave them in the dark. Because you know who gets credit when we explain that? Jesus. He's the reason we're weird. And it's awesome. Peter explains what is happening is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel. So you'll see that uh, it's out of Joel 2, 28 through 32. Again, we're just kind of, we're taking a segment of this passage. The actual purpose of this passage is to explain what happened at Pentecost. We're just looking at Peter here. Um, so we'll probably come back to this passage and unpack the awesomeness sometime, okay? There's a lot of Bible to teach. I'm in week two. I'm excited, guys. So if I get over, you know, just, I'm, I'm going to try to slow down for us, okay? Um, so next thing, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice. This is what we saw. He lifted up his voice and he addressed them. And then he addresses the elephant in the room. These people are not drunk as you suppose, right? And so those are important aspects. So he's direct. There's a gospel urgency that's understood here. How many of you have ever heard, there's this really terrible quote going around in Christianity in our meme culture where people post things on the internet. Uh, it's a, a, a misquote of Francis of Assisi that says, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. You ever heard that? Francis of Assisi didn't actually say that. Um, but that's something that people use to say, oh, we should just do good things for people and we probably shouldn't share that gospel that's kind of offensive. That puts people off. Guys, that, that is just not biblical. It's just not biblical. I want to take you to Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? Everybody say heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? People will not become Christians if we are not Christians who share the gospel. They have to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. You have it right there that they will have to hear with words. Do we need to match those words with deeds? You better believe it. Never part those two. I say share the gospel in word and in deed, but never part the two because they both become ineffective. Deeds become ineffective if there is no gospel, and the gospel becomes ineffective if there are no words. So uh, direct gospel urgency, confrontational strengths, and they tend to challenge us. And you see here, verse 29 through 36, Peter begins to address David. Like David comes up in the conversation. Why is that? Well, David was an extremely important figure in history to, to a lot of the people around. King David. There's a big portion of the Old Testament that's about King David. And David starts to challenge a little bit how much faith they have in, in David as opposed to Jesus. And he begins to kind of make David sound like more of a man, and he makes Jesus sound more of a who? A God, right? Messiah, the God. And so um, what Peter essentially does is he confronts the values at the time 
that are overscoring the person of Jesus? Are there some idols in our culture today that we value more than Christ? And shout out a couple. What are, what are some of the idols of our culture today that tend to, to be more important to us than Christ? NFL, football, what else? Money, influence, computer games have become very, very important. What else? Image, how I look, how people perceive me. We worry a lot about the approval of others. Our phones, television, and the movies that we have, right? These are all places in our culture that have been elevated above our Christ. Would you guys agree? We give Jesus one day. He can maybe have Sunday. The rest of the week goes to my other idols. Anybody struggle with that? Yeah, I'm being a little confrontational here. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Sometimes we need that challenge, right? We got to be challenged about the idols in our life. See, confrontational people can point out the things we don't want to see or like to see. This typically means that they are not well-liked. You guys know who that those people are in your life. A lot of times you're like, man, they always point out the things I don't want to see or I'm trying to ignore right now, right? We got to have grace as a, as a group of believers with one another when you have confrontational people who point out important things that we need to see. A lot of times they point out the obvious, choose that we don't want to acknowledge things that we're trying to ignore. I think about, so verse 22, right? He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, right? He's saying, you guys saw Jesus do this. You saw him do, it was obvious to all of you. You have to do something with that information. You just saw an amazing ministry of a man who called himself, I am. You have to do something with that information. Confrontational people can oftentimes call us out on our hypocrisies. Ugh. Everybody say this with me. I am a hypocrite and I'm in recovery. You can too. Right? We are all recovering hypocrites. Let's just be honest, right? We are so much better at telling other people how to live their life and not following through. Our, a lot of times, confrontational people will point out weaknesses, flaws, or faults, our failures. Sometimes our naivety. That's a tough one in today's culture. But sometimes, guys, we are truly naive. We don't know it all. Sometimes people point out things that we don't know, and we have to be open to that. In today's culture, if somebody points out, even if we disagree with them, but they point out something right or correct, are we willing to concede and say, hey, that's actually true? That's tough, isn't it? They naturally change or either strengthen or destroy that which is not solidly built. So confrontation, confrontational people tend to ask really hard questions about God, about life, about faith. Sometimes this is your kids. Why? You ever hear that, that question? Why? Everybody say, why? <laughs> Sometimes hard questions. Hey, by the way, hard questions in church are so good. You're, you're going to hear this from me all the time. I worry more about people who don't ask hard questions about faith and about Jesus much more than I do about people who don't ask hard questions. Because to me, the people who ask hard questions are actually thinking through their faith. People who just take it at face value, haven't been challenged, and don't grow those deep roots of faith. So, church, ask hard questions. I'm not always going to have the right answer, but I can guarantee that I'm going to work with you so that we can pursue Christ for that right answer. Can we do that, church?
Is it okay to ask questions in church? Yes. Ask lots of questions. I'm going to get all kinds of emails now. The Bible takes this approach on a number of occasions, right? The confrontational approach. We see Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, right? There's one. Uh, how about Hebrews 4, 12? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible's kind of confrontational, isn't it? It gets after us in a good way. We need to be got after. Because remember, we all have sin nature. We have a nature to walk away from God. There's a part of us, every one of us, that wants to walk away from the Lord. We need that kind of confrontation. So what if we were people in the church that were sharp and not blunt because of our indifference? What if we spoke the scriptures to each other, even if it's hard? Our conflict avoidance makes us weak as a church. Guys, we cannot be a people who avoid conflict, but instead rise to the moment and speak God's word. Can we do that, church? There, uh, I hear sometimes we say things when we're comforting people, oh, they're just a good person as a means to comfort. How many times have you told somebody that they're just a good person? It's a really easy, like Disney tells us that all the time too, right? Disney tells us that we're all good people, but that's just not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about our nature? No, we're all desperately wicked. The Bible says desperately wicked. Let's see if I can bring my slides up. Sorry, guys. Um, so desperately wicked. We can't keep comforting each other because we're afraid of the conflict that may happen. We need to remind each other that we're all sinners saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I think that's going to create in us a gratefulness and a thankfulness to God that, that has been void of the church. Well, in the interest of time, I want to tell you a quick story um, I got from a guy named uh, J.D. Greer. I heard this story, and it just it pierced my heart. It was a story about a man that was driving at night, and as he was driving, he saw headlights in front of him disappear abruptly. Very late at night, it was very dark, and he felt a dread that caused him to stop and pull over. As he walked up, he saw a sinkhole, and just then he saw headlights pass by and crash into this deep sinkhole. This is terrifying, a whole car into a sinkhole. He saw more headlights become coming around the corner towards the sinkhole. And, and uh, as he realized what was going on, he started shouting from the side of the road, stop, 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 stop. They couldn't see what was ahead of them. But the cars would just think he was kind of a crazy guy. And they would continue. How many of you would stop? <laughs> You're like, nope. You go even faster, right? Well, around the corner came a school bus full of kids. And the guy decided... It's going to be me or this school bus. So he threw himself in front of the school bus to make sure that it wasn't going to go off that sinkhole. And as the bus driver gets out of the bus, what do you think his reaction was? What are you doing? Get out of the road, you crazy person. But the man took him over and showed him the sinkhole. And what do you think the bus driver's reaction was then? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Verse 37 through 41, we see a people that were pierced to the heart. They had been given a glimpse a glimpse that brought them to repentance. I like to use the phrase, repent early and often. Everybody say that with me, repent early and often. <laughs> repentance is a continual thing. It's not a one-time deal. You got to continually walk in repentance. 
And so these people, they responded to the confrontational style with repentance and restoration. And brothers and sisters, if you look at Matthew 18, I think is one of the most underutilized passages in Scripture. 18.15 tells us, uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Some, some translations say go and tell him in secret between you and him. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You guys ever seen that work in church? And we just get mad and stop talking to each other. You know what I'm talking about? That like stare from across the foyer. Like you did that one thing that one time. We're not going to talk, but we're going to look at each other from across the hallway, right? Brothers and sisters, we need to be people who are willing to go to one another. Here's another saying, talk to and not about. We like to go and we like to get everybody invested in our cause and what they did to us. What if we were people instead that went quietly and talked to and not about? Talked to and not about. Matthew 18, 15. That's such an important passage. So they were pierced to the heart. This isn't always the response. For those of you who have shared the gospel, it's not always the response. In fact, it's a rare response. But uh, there's a saying that's always rung in my ear. You will miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? 100% of the people you don't share the gospel with won't be saved. According to that passage in Romans, 100% of the people that you don't share the gospel with won't be saved. If they don't hear the gospel, and if they don't hear it from you, church, who are they going to hear it from? You're the church. Studies have shown that the amount of people that come to faith in a ministry is directly related to the amount that they share the gospel. When God's people step forward in boldness, people will be saved. Brothers and sisters, if I'm going to steal a word from culture, I'm going to steal it back. What if we liberally shared the gospel? You see what I did there? What if we liberally shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? People get saved when the gospel is shared. It's a history-proven truth. And he said to them, the harvest, this is Luke 10, 2. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is Jesus to his disciples. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Are there people in Fremont County that need Jesus? <laughs> the harvest is plentiful. Where are the laborers? Lord, where are the laborers? In the state of Wyoming, are there people who need Jesus? The harvest is plentiful. Where are the laborers? Lord Jesus, send us the laborers. You see what I'm saying? Let that be our prayer. It's a quick secret. They're sitting here in the pews. So I'm going to blaze through some cautionary weaknesses for confrontational types for us as a church. And just another quick reminder, make concessions for one another's faults. Okay, so we need these people in our life. Brothers and sisters, we need them in our life. We got to make concessions sometimes when they're impulsive. Peter displayed impulsiveness. He's the guy who jumped out of the boat, right? We got to make concession for one another's impulsiveness. Do we walk in forgiveness and do we walk with people uh, who are sometimes impulsive? Walk in restoration from Matthew 18. We need to be walking with those impulsive folks. Sometimes they can be short-sighted. Right? They can be short-sighted. When Peter was arguing with Jesus, who he just declared to be the Messiah, Jesus was trying to explain to him, Peter, you don't see the whole picture. You don't see what I'm trying to do here. You're missing it. The Son of Man has to go to the cross and pay the price of sin for all mankind. 
That's what has to happen. That's what I'm here for. But Peter was like, no, Lord. He was short-sighted. He was short-sighted. So a cautionary confrontational weakness. They can be unnecessarily offensive. Sorry, guys, we lost you again. We'll get this dialed in one of these times, right? I know we will. They can be unnecessarily offensive. Guys, the Bible is offensive enough without us exaggerating it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, there we go. Okay. So, short-sighted, unnecessarily offensive. We don't have to be offensive. We just have to share what is offensive, right? We know that they first hated Jesus, so they're going to what? Us. They're going to hate us on, on account of Jesus. See, our message, the gospel, think about how offensive it is. You are all sinners. Oh, that's kind of hard to share. Without Jesus, you are going to be punished by a perfectly just God. It's not an easy message to bear, is it? Until you get to the good part. When it's like, it doesn't matter how good of a person or bad of a person you are. If you cast yourself onto Jesus Christ, he pays the price of your sin. He gives you his righteousness before God. Righteousness means rightness with God. So if you're a Christian here today, get this. You have the same status with God that Jesus had with God because he gave you his righteousness. You are now a son and a daughter of God. Is that good news? We are the family of God because of what Jesus did. That's the gospel. And all we have to do to obtain that change in status with God is to trust in Jesus, right? Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. (laughs) Amen. But the beginning of that message can be sometimes offensive, but we don't need to add to it, do we? I never want to be offensive. I try to let Jesus do that on my behalf. Having this personality is, and by the way, if you are a confrontational type, I just want to speak to you for a minute. Having this personality is not a license to be obnoxious. Amen, church? Okay. Self-control is still a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And then Peter adds this caveat, 1 Peter 3.15, yet do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect, right? That's what the scriptures tell us, that we aren't to be unnecessarily offensive. And a lot of times, and I know none of us are guilty of this, we're focused on being right. Anybody like that? I'm right, you're wrong. Okay, adjourned, right? Discussion over. We like that far too much. Confrontational types, this is just a cautionary to one of your weaknesses. It's not always about what you say, but how you say it that can make the difference in how people hear what you are saying. It's not always about what you say, but how you say it. If you're saying it to be right, can people sniff through that? But have you ever had somebody come up and tell you something that's hard to hear, but you know they love you? You know that they're concerned for you? Does that change how you receive what they're saying? Church, we're not here about being right. In fact, we're all about admitting that we were wrong without Jesus. We need to be a people willing to confess that we are wrong without Christ can become jaded against a church that won't listen. So a lot of times these people tend to be the people who cause conflict and, and leave. And, and so church, we just, we gotta, we gotta be tender with one another in how we conflict and how we fight and how we disagree. Because remember, 
The world will know who we serve by how we love one another. The world will know who we serve by how we love one another. The Great Commission demands that all hands, all personalities, everybody raise your hand, that's me. I don't, I don't see all those hands. You're a part. Come on, come on. Here, get those hands up, right? All hands on deck, all personalities of his church on deck. There is no, uh, by the way, uh, there's no retirement in discipleship. You can be a happily retired disciple maker, but you're still making disciples. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. There's no retirement, no caveat for how to get out. We need each and every one of you to step up to the disciple-making endeavor. Be filled with the Spirit and be what God has created you to be. So church, so what? Be open to confrontation and don't just avoid it. Love those who are willing to confront you if it's done well. (laughs) You may need it. If this is you, we need you. Confrontational types, we need you. If this is not you, don't worry. There are many more styles and acts, okay? Don't worry, quiet folks. I'm going to get to you. Don't run out. If this is you, don't worry. There are many more styles and acts. Even if it's not how you would do it, support your brothers and sisters. We need to be people not ashamed of sharing the gospel, but instead we need to be praisers of sharing the gospel.